Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics. Thousands of people go to him each year for insights about the future of dating, relationship, careers, and personal development. He's an online dating consultant, community organizer, super connector, and digital nomad. Steve Dean, welcome to the show. How are you doing? It is great to be here. It's a wonderful day in New York right now. I'm happy to chat. Well, um, I'm telling you, from the moment I saw your profile, and we never met in person for anybody uh, listening out there, this is the first time we speak, but I read your profile, and I visited your webpage, and I say, I just have to write him an email and see if he would say yes to coming on board. And I'm very happy that, that you did say yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm inspired by how proactive you were, because that's something I've been aspiring to do in my own podcasts. So this is something where as soon as I saw you reach out, I thought to myself, this is exactly what I want to be doing myself. So I totally appreciate it. Oh, well, and then, you know, uh, there's such a community for the podcasting and people here, you know, trying to do sem similar things in our end or in our own area that uh, definitely that support group is so important so um and then we have some friends in common so that's uh, even more exciting oh definitely <laughs> so uh steve i want to start and i don't know how familiar you are with the podcast but obviously it is about how we reconnect to ourselves how we end up doing what we love and then of course you'd read what about what you're doing and you sound like a guy that it's enjoying what it's doing and is going definitely on an unconventional path but i'd like to start uh every time that i um bring a guest in with their childhood and and your upbringing and your family uh share anything that that, that you think it, it will shed some light into uh who you are all right that's a, a fun question i think childhood for a lot of people must be a pretty could be tumultuous, could be a bit exciting. Uh, for me, I actually had a, I would say a relatively boring childhood, all things considered. I grew up in a one square mile town in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, pretty low income growing up, so didn't really, couldn't buy many things, didn't really have much to work with, so I had to use my imagination a lot. Um, I did appreciate lots of little things, like my father would take me uh, fishing pretty regularly, and so we I got to spend a lot of time with my thoughts, up to like sometimes 10 hours at a time uh, or more without speaking at all, um, because that was just kind of our relationship. And then my mother, on the other hand, was extraordinarily social and loved doing family things. She'd pull the whole family together. We couldn't go on a single vacation that was just like us. I had a sister too, or I still do. I mean, <laughs> she's uh, seven years older. But like our family vacations were rarely just the four of us. It would my mom would try to bring in. Okay, let's let's invite our other twenty, thirty, forty, fifty family members on the vacation. <laughs> oh my god, I I feel that's probably what my son will say about me in a few years. But okay. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah. And so I think I, I had this weird fusion between my parents of people who 
on one hand, my dad was super uh, solitary. He much preferred time spent with just himself or just uh, my mother or even just me. Like we would sometimes go and have have a catch that would last for hours uh, with a Frisbee or baseball. Uh, and that was just super low key vibes the whole time. Um, not super ambitious, just more, you know, shows up for the people that matter in his life. And then on my mother's hand, also not super ambitious, but someone who shows up. And I think that's something that um, I've learned a lot from. It's almost like this. My, my mother is more on the hospitality side where she tries to make everyone feel extraordinarily comfortable. And that's something that definitely was passed on to me. Like my house was essentially the safe place that any one of my friends or my sister's friends could come hang out at. If they were going through family trouble or friend trouble, they'd just swing by any time of day or night. And there was always that space where people could feel totally welcomed. They could come right in, crash on the couch. Um, we'd make them food, make them coffee, make them tea. Um, it just was this almost like a internal culture in my house of just raw hospitality, you know, making sure that whoever walks in the door is completely and totally welcomed and kept safe. Wow, so, that sounds, sounds like fun. Yeah, I mean, that, that was something that, I mean, as a kid, I, I think I gravitated a little bit more toward my dad's side of things early on because I just couldn't handle having so many people around all the time, never having personal space. I think I spent maybe... Uh, until I was 19, I never had a bedroom of my own with like a lockable door where I could just have privacy. So that was definitely something that I would really rebel against. Um, and it almost, it probably, probably paved the way for what would then happen after college. Uh, I'm very, very ironic. I want to get, I, I'm already like have questions, but okay. So you, um, you have, you know, this childhood that uh, in a way kind of threw you with a lot of people and uh, and you enjoyed for what I get uh, the time with your dad and doing those kind of things. Anything in particular that it was kind of your thing to do that you enjoy growing up? Um, I think that I always liked categorizing things and making sense of the information around me. Uh, and so I think that maybe I got that from my grandmother. She uh, she died when I was about 14, but she was like her goal in life was always just like make me smarter every day. And so <laughs> I would oftentimes like crave being able to hang out with her because that was one of the few spaces in my life where my just like raw intellectual pursuits were totally validated. So she would literally sit me down with these workbooks of like, you know, little brain teasers and a lot of standard books, a lot of different creative toys. Um, and I think the main thing that we would do was almost like even in, even devoid of anything but a pen and paper, we still managed to entertain ourselves. That was one of my favorite games we would play. She would just say like, okay, vegetables, list as many as you possibly can. And then we would think like, we just kept making up lists and ways of categorizing things because her, I think that's what she pushed me to do is really tap into my own brain and learn how to model the world in a better way. Wow. And so she sounds was, also like fun, like a fun <laughs> grandma. Oh yeah, she was awesome. Like I, I just, I can't. Even, I will never forget just being able to sit uh, in the living room with her across from the table. There's like almost no stimulation in the whole room. It's just like us, a pen and paper, and that's all we needed. And we could, I could spend eight hours just doing that. Awesome. That's uh, that's really inspiration when you hear that. And and as now growing children, and sometimes she's like, "What am I gonna do with them?" I mean, I'm guilty as charged. And sometimes. You just made me think of a of a game that we used to play also with pen on paper that I had totally forgotten. I'm gonna have my my son writing very soon. What was the game? Uh, it was called Stop, 
And I guess someone would come up with a letter like A, and then you would have the categories. So you could have a name, a last name. You, you make up any category, animal, and then you have to come with one word for each, for each category on that letter. Gotcha. It was quite fun. But uh, yeah, that's great about uh, talking about the old times. So off to college and uh, curious to know what did you decide to study and, and what were your interests uh, as a young man? Yeah, I would actually, I, I would even start sooner than college for just giving some like important backstory. Sure. I think high school was a really formative time for me because like, like I said, I gravitated toward my dad's worldview early on, which was like isolate from people. I didn't have many friends. Even at age 14, I think I had one friend. Um, and even that friendship was rocky at times. And around age 15, that was when I was in high, I went to a high school where I didn't know anyone. And it was definitely scary because I was this antisocial kid who liked spending time alone and didn't really know like what other people were thinking or why they would think. I didn't talk to that many people other than, you know, like my parents and grandmother. So in high school, everything kind of changed because I was in a new environment. I decided for myself that I wanted to become more social. I wanted to learn how to make friends. And so I basically started this process. Like, I essentially was at rock bottom. Like, I did almost zero friends. It was at one point zero friends in high school, even a year in. And it was such a struggle to fit in that I started a process of like, okay, each day I'm going to try to do one kind thing for someone, or I'm going to try to learn about someone's perspective in a very direct way so that I can better understand like what they might need. And mm -hmm. so like, I got into this habit of essentially like learning to serve other people and learning to find out a little bit more about like what they're going through, what they need, because then that helped me get a sense of, okay, well, this is how I could be directly helpful or relevant or important to this person. Um, because now that I've listened to them, I've held space for them. I can then understand a little bit better how to help or how to push them forward. Interesting. And I have two questions very quickly. Was your dad like a solitary man? Like, did you get that from your dad? Did he have any friends? Um, both of my parents are quite solitary, actually. Like between the two of them, they don't have that many friends. Um, they just are very heavily, well, my mother is very heavily invested in family and my father is more like he's invested in his very small scale. Family. Like he grew up with over 20 siblings. Mm -hmm. So he was just like me, overwhelmed by the sheer volume of family members running around all the time. Um, so he learned to like retreat into the woods and spend a lot of time on his own or just like riding a bike around with a couple friends. Uh, so I think both of us kind of grew up not traumatized per se, but definitely overwhelmed by the volume of family members in our lives. I see. And, and, and so, so in school, do you think that's probably you were so exhausting, exhausted by like socializing at home that at school you just, you know, why, why would you say that it was hard in high school to, to have friends? I think that I came into high school with an extraordinary degree of myopia. So like I couldn't really conceive of what other people were thinking, what the struggles were that they were going through because I was so immersed in my own struggles. I had really bad acne. I was bused to and from a school in a neighborhood that it was like a place where I didn't know anyone. Um, I didn't have many skills. Like I didn't make eye contact almost ever. So I couldn't even tell what other people were really thinking because I never looked at them to engage with them. So it was really difficult to develop all of the habits of like what it means to be a social person, what it means to be even mildly extroverted, because I was such an introvert. So I think that was definitely in learning that skill set every day when I'd put into practice an extra like, okay, I'm going to make eye contact with three people today. And the next day, I'm going to do four people. And then 
as I started doing that, I like all of the other skills that come with extroversion began to multiply because in doing essentially the work of an extrovert, spending more time listening to people, more time uh, finding out what different people need and then bringing those people together. If I sense that there's, you know, a series of things that multiple people have mentioned wanting and I can create something that allows them all to discover that thing, um, then I essentially become the community builder that solves a lot of people's needs at once. It's amazing. I mean, again, I don't know yet a lot about you, but it's fascinating to see how you got to where you are because almost of your own experience. So you took the time in college to kind of reinvent yourself. Uh, so by the time I got to college, it was definitely a, like, I had, it was a series of weird discoveries because I went to a very conservative high school and then an extraordinarily liberal college. And so it went from me feeling almost like a, not an outcast in my school, but I always felt like I was opposing the administration in high school. And I wondered why they like, just so many decisions that were made didn't make sense to me. And I think that's because I already had a relatively deeply ingrained liberal arc in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so when I went to college, suddenly all the conversations that were happening made a little bit more sense. And it didn't seem like I had to fight people as much because like, there, there was a little bit more consensus on, you know, what it means to be kind to other people, what it means to care about the world and the environment. Um, so that was something that it, it definitely felt more comfortable. And I think a lot of the skills that I had learned in high school around, you know, getting to know people better, um, trying to mold myself into someone who can have more confidence and like, a greater ability to connect with people. I had a couple of those skills put to the test in college because it was suddenly, I, you know, I went to a, a high school where it was mostly white men. It was an all-male high school. It was a Christian school like an elite college prep school that I was there on scholarship. So I felt like a weird outsider, but I also, you know, that was, those were the people around me. And so going into college where it was an extraordinarily diverse uh, international school with um, a huge focus on academics, it, it was just a, a very different experience. And navigating that basically led me to have to check my ego a lot. It was a lot of times when I thought I knew something, this, you know, white boy from a one square mile town uh, shows up in a school where there's people who've lived through way worse shit than I could ever think of mm. and who had perspectives that were so much more nuanced than so many of the things that I took for granted. And so I, I learned a lot about just like shutting up, listening, finding out a little bit more about like what people have gone through around me, never assuming that my perspective is the right one or the one that has the most information behind it. Um, so that grounded me a lot in just deep listening, holding space for people. Hmm. That's, uh, I find it really fascinating um, because it's almost like you, what you describe on in high school and what you are now describing in college is really very different. And you took, you took um, proactive actions to, to change that. And I can relate a little bit because I went through the same Catholic old girls high uh, schools from pre-K yeah. from pre-K two until until high school. Mm -hmm. So I had my friends, you know, my entire life. But it's so hard because you, as you change and you grow up, there are things about you that you don't like. And even if when you try to change them, the people that have known you for the entire life, they almost don't give you the chance. 
<laughs> to change that. And then it took me to move to Miami and come to do my master's. And I took that opportunity and I said, now I can get rid of all these things that I don't like about me and reinvent <laughs> myself. Yeah. And, uh, and so I always say, you know, that uh, it's good to to take those opportunities, uh, a change of job, change of a city, something where you can really take control into how you're perceived and, 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 and what side of you you really want to show up. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's something that I don't know if I touched on that, but it's like I, I grew up in a family and in friend groups where your identity was very much fixed. Like you are this kind of person and it was hard to have any kind of behavior change when everyone constantly reinforces the same negative habits. Exactly. And that was something that I, I struggled with so much because I, I had so many of those negative habits and the idea that they were being reinforced by the people around me was frustrating. And so it took, I think in high school was when I really unlocked that skill set of recognizing, hey, I am not a fixed entity. I am a combination of whatever habits I choose to reinforce over time. And so by basically designing the personality that I wanted to have within like two to three years time and then putting into place as many habits as I could during my high school years to see if I could become that person little by little. Uh, and then it, it, it worked almost perfectly. And obviously there's always room to grow. You always, as, as you develop, you discover more and newer angles of like where you can be developing and you gain new perspectives when you talk to new people. So like it's, it's, you're never done with that process, but just the fact that you're never truly stuck in a single personality that you can be super flexible and your personality can mold to fit whatever habits you choose to reinforce. Like that was a source of huge empowerment for me. And it informed a lot of my later consulting work, which was essentially around empowerment, around getting people into the job, the apartment, the roommate situation, the relationship that they most want. Well, you made it happen for yourself. And I'm very interested about that part. And so I don't want to I don't want to um, <laughs> leave any of that out. But I'm very curious. So you went to college and you study. Did you did you study anything that we will call like traditional career? What did you study? Um, well, I would call it the ADHD curriculum. Okay. <laughs> so I I started off as like, oh, I think I like philosophy and I like English. And so I started with those two. And then I took a religion course and I was like, oh, I like that too. Um, and then I took an economics course and I was like, okay, that's fun too. And I just kept trying different courses. And then I, I basically made it my goal because I realized there was no one, like I, some people show up at college, they're like, I'm pre-med. I want to take as many, you know, classes that put me in that direction as possible done. For me, I had no clear aspirations of what I wanted to be or become. So I could take any courses essentially and still be equally satisfied. And so I literally just ranked all of the professor ratings from like ratemyprofessors.com and I found out which professors were likely to be teaching while I was there who had the greatest overall ratings from students in terms of like just the joy and the delight they had from taking that class, which ones were most memorable, which ones did students most regard as like, if I could do it all over again, this is the one class I would make sure I did not skip. And so I stacked my entire uh, academic calendar with all of the classes that were most highly regarded by the students. And then that led me ultimately to declaring a political science uh, major with a minor in public policy. And that was like the nice fusion of the philosophy, the economics, the social science and psychology, like all of those things were ultimately what kind of captivated my interest most. Wow. I, I think you just created a new way <laughs> 
of going around careers. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, this is fascinating that you actually went and took the classes that appealed the most with the professors and then eventually were the classes that enabled you to, to get your degree rather than like a top-down approach. I see it's almost like, a, I don't know, like I'm in shock, to be honest, because I think it's a very powerful approach to education to go and follow what you are interested in and then let let the path um, self-discover to yourself into what is it that, that you're going to end up doing, even if it's not related to that career. Because most of us, I studied business, and yes, I'm in business, but I mean, half the stuff I studied, I don't use it. So that's what everybody says, right? They say, oh, well, half the stuff, you're not going to use it. So Yeah, I can't really think of a single thing that I studied that I haven't used. Like it's it's really rare for I I just kind of because of the way that I pursued both the college curriculum but also life thereafter, it made it so I just kept keeping my career aligned with the things I had already been learning. Wow. Well, I'm not going to bore you with it and not nor the audience, but I am working on something about the workforce in the U.S. and how people get to, to where they are. And this goes so hand in hand that you just uh, gave me great ideas. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I want to fast forward and, and talk about, because I know a lot of people will be interested and all your information is going to be on our show notes. But I know, well, I know you have a podcast, so I want to know about that. And I know you also founded in 2011 uh, an online dating consultant business called Date Working, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. um, and maybe even before that, I know that you lived for an incredible amount of time. You know, you didn't have a house. Uh, tell me about that, that stage in your life. Yeah. Um, so I guess right after college, I realized that I had not applied to a single job while I was in college, um, like during my senior year, because I was so focused on just making sure I wrapped up my academic curriculum. I think I took maybe like seven classes a semester when a lot of people were recommended to only take four. So I was just completely overwhelmed academically, and it was almost by my own design. But that led me to not have clear career plans. And also, you know, my academic curriculum was such a hodgepodge that it was kind of hard to find a, there's no job that was necessarily tailored to the kind of things I was learning. Um, and then I went, I took a stint for a month at the Tuck School of Business right after. That bought me some time after college. It was like a month-long business bridge program to basically give you insights into like the business world, the consulting world. Um, and so in that month, there was one course at the very end on entrepreneurship And it basically, it was the weirdest experience because my entire life I had never heard the word entrepreneurship. And yet that one class after college, (laughs) you know, it was maybe an hour and a half long class um, on the very last day of classes for that program. And that was essentially the first time in my life I had ever been introduced to this concept of like when the world doesn't have the career or the life that makes sense for you, you can just build it yourself if you see a problem that no one's fixing, you can fix it yourself. You simply have to come up with the idea for how to do it. You do the research, you do the work, you build the team, you build the product. And that to me was the most inspiring and energizing thing I had ever encountered up until that point in my life. Because it finally opened that door that I didn't even know existed, saying like, hey, when society doesn't do the work 
of making your career make sense, you kind of have to define it for yourself. And mm. so right after that, I, I realized, oh, I can, this is so much more what I like doing. It's the like, let's take every avenue you can to solve the problem. Let's not just look around for what other people are doing, but instead define it ourselves. Um, and so within a month of taking that course, I actually ran into someone from my school. This is now like four or five months after graduation. Um, and he said to me, okay, it seems like you, you're really interested in like bringing people together and doing like matchmaking style things and seeing what people need. Um, have you ever considered that like, you know, we, we graduated during the recession, uh, that all of our friends need help finding jobs. And wouldn't it be cool if we built a platform for matching people to those jobs? And that kind of lit up a light bulb in my mind hmm. because I had just been that was around 2010 that I first got introduced to the dating site OkCupid, which does you know compatibility-based matchmaking for your romantic life, and that was something you know you can answer thousands of questions, and the algorithms then do the work of finding you other people who kind of share your perspective or who would complement your perspective. And so when I began thinking of how valuable that could be in the job space, so it's like I don't know what I want to do with my life, but maybe the algorithm can like discover things that I didn't know and pull in wisdom from thousands of other aggregated job postings and career trajectories such that, you know, it's an information problem most of the time. If if I knew the ideal job for me, I'd obviously apply to it, but most people don't even know. So at least we could do the work of finding out what people are compatible to or with and then connecting them directly to those roles, to those companies. And so that's how Job Suitors got started. Uh, it was really just... Um, me and two other friends who had this really fun idea of like connecting all the people we've ever met and all the people we may we may soon meet uh, to the jobs that would most fulfill them. And so we spent five years building out that product, that platform, the early users, uh, doing all of the the work around you know fundraising and building products, hiring a team. Um, designing the product, doing the user interviews, growing the user base by going to hackathons around the country, talking to job seekers, calling up different uh, startup founders and talking to them about their hiring practices. It was probably like 80 to 100 hours a week for about, <laughs> I want to say, five years straight. Wow. And during that whole time, I also, there was a parallel problem I was working on, which was called, I didn't have an apartment and I didn't have an income. Because I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have a job that was just like ready to go. And so I consequently had to, in parallel, build this startup, but also feed myself. Uh, and so one of the things that helped me early on was that that summer before I took that business program, I was actually, I didn't know what to do. It's like, I don't have income. I don't know how to make money. I don't know what people would even pay me for. Um I don't even know how to really apply to jobs here. So what's going on? How do I do this? And around that time, I decided to just like lock myself in a room essentially and find out what I could do that would be useful enough to someone that they might want to pay me. And so I would just scroll through Facebook seeing what people needed. And sometimes people post about needing an apartment or a roommate. Sometimes they post about like struggling with dating, sometimes about struggling with the job search. And I would just start helping people and like chatting with them. And sometimes I would end up in a conversation that's like a couple hours long about someone's relationship. And in that summer, I had the first moment of discovery where someone said to me, Steve, we've been talking for like six hours about my shitty relationship with my ex. 
you know, can, can I pay you for this? Like I, I literally pay my therapist to this, to do this kind of work. And that's like hundreds of dollars per session. And here I am, like, I, I feel unethical taking more of your time when you're providing me with like the same kind or even higher quality service. Mm. So can I pay you? How can I pay you? Do you have a website? And that was the first time when I was, I thought to myself, wow, I, I don't have a website. I don't know that I didn't know that this is a thing you could get paid for. And so that got me started on my first website. That was date working. That was the, the company around helping people with their dating and relationship lives. Hmm. I'm speechless. Where were you in 2005? <laughs> I was looking for, <laughs> you know, I think I mentioned this on one of our emails. Uh, we shared this on episode three where I interviewed my husband, but we actually probably were among the first users of Match.com. Oh, yeah. And uh, we did meet on Match.com in 2005. So um, I always joke around that I have two kids with a guy I met online. <laughs> and, uh, lo you know, back then it was the time where people were like, you crazy, how are you going to do this and all, and all that good stuff. But yeah, we don't, we, we, we both saw that it was a very powerful thing for two busy professionals that didn't have time to, to date. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but, but the whole process, I could see how having someone to guide you through it, because I'm going to tell you, just with my experience, I had three other friends find and marry someone in Machacom, believe it or not. <laughs> That's amazing. Which city was this in? Uh, Miami. Oh, wow. Okay, of cool. all cities, but just by giving her tips into what worked for me uh -huh. and, and uh, kind of helping them stay focused on, on certain things really uh, translated into success. So I definitely see that, that you have a, a great opportunity there. And a lot of people, you know, are looking for some guidance and some credible source of, of information. So good for you. Yeah, that's been something that uh, it started with the individual side where I was just helping people like navigate their relationships. Relationships. I was going into polyamory at the time, and so I had spent a lot of time thinking about relationships, how to plan them. I designed a relationship entirely from scratch with a partner that I had back then. Um, and so literally, like, step one, we would say, okay, what is a relationship? How do we define it? What is our relationship going to look like? What are the terms we'd like to abide by? What are the things that we need and want and desire? What are the things we're afraid of? Um and then we would model hypothetical futures. Like if you went to this party and you talked to this kind of a person, even though you really liked it, how would I feel about it? And we, we modeled it so intensely that it kind of taught me a lot about just like the basic structure of a relationship from a logistical standpoint. And then viewing the emotional work together of like feeling through each scenario also gave me a really strong grounding in how to navigate potentially multiple relationships and multiple types of relationships in a way that's much more fluid and much more, you know, conscientious of what my partners might want. And so that was really instrumental for being able to give other people more advice because I was living it so actively and thinking about it so constantly and reading as many articles and books as I could on it. Um, and then the same thing started to happen, ironically enough, uh, in online dating, not just offline dating and relationship design. When it came to online dating, I started with OkCupid, but by... One month in, I was already on about two or three other dating apps. Um, and by the end of my first year, I think I was on about 40 or 50. And then I'm now like actively on about over 90. I have profiles on well over two, 300 
different dating apps. And so consulting for the dating industry just became a matter of, you know, I, I would meet people who'd look at my phone and be like, oh my God, like I have a company you need to talk to because you clearly know more than they do about what they're building because you have five of their competitors' products on your phone already and they don't even know they exist. Mm-hmm. So it was, that kind of led me into the, the wider scale industry consulting because it wasn't just that I was helping individuals. I was also helping companies build better products and help them know more about their users and understand like the trajectory of the industry. If you can look at a hundred apps in parallel and see which ones got built and when you can quickly see which kinds of features are becoming more popular and bubbling up to the top. So that was what funded me for the last, I guess, seven years It was a lot of just direct consulting for individuals and companies who needed help with this. Mm, That's very impressive. Well, I always say that, uh, and I'm in sales, but uh, I always say there's that that sales is like dating, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. right? And and I have learned to read the messages or non messages uh, that my customers or potential customers give me, right? And and the book, the one that uh, he's not that into you. I apply that to my sales <laughs> efforts constantly because when you're trying to sell something and you see an immediate response and you see the customer is with you and he wants to know more and th- then you know there's something there. And then something mm-hmm. happens, either you submit your quote and your price was high or something happens and then probably they stop communicating in the same way that they were communicating before. And it's like online dating. You have a couple of messages, quick, fast, and then it slows down. <laughs> That's what you say. Like, by the way, I know this is going well, but I want two kids by the end of next exactly, year. Exactly. Something like that. And they're like, wait. Or, oh, I didn't mention <laughs> that I had uh, two kids or something like that. <laughs> well, in my case, so that you laugh, I did not even put my picture on my profile. Oh, wow. So when I... You know, I used to write people and I had an interesting responses like, oh, I don't write to people that don't have the picture. And mm-hmm. uh, and I understood, but also for me was like a way to filter who was there for the right reasons and to read the profile. And, yeah. uh, and you know, my husband read the profile, luckily, but he also said, yeah, but send me the picture. I want the picture. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, But yeah, I mean, you learn in the interactions with people. Uh, both professionally or in on dating, that uh, that they're very similar. And uh, on the entrepreneurial side and the startup side, you have to sell the idea and you have to sell yourself to your potential investors. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to just some of the basic building blocks of human relationships and social capital. It's all about how you go about engaging with people in a way that makes them feel seen and heard, that solves their problems. If they care to have those problems solved, sometimes it's just holding space for people. But yeah, I've seen that apply as much on my sales calls for my job suitors company, um, as well as job seeker interviews, as well as talking with people on first dates, talking with uh, dating clients and you help with their relationships. It's it's so much the same kind of work, the same kind of like just basic principles of relationship building that end up serving you across all of these domains. And it also, one of the things that I learned pretty early on is that the same problems you might show um, in dating, in sales, like they just kind of crop up in all the same domains. So one of the problems I had got, I got early feedback from like a business advisor on my sales process, because I spent an entire month doing like 40 hours a week of sales for my startup and made zero sales and was wondering like what 
is wrong with me? Why mm-hmm. am I so bad at this? And then one of my sales advisors said to me, hey, Steve, like you can go on dates with virtually anyone because you structure the ask in a way that is so easy for them to say yes to. Like I'll read their profile. I'll check in to see like, what are the kinds of things they're interested in? Are they the kind of person who might be interested in me? And then I don't say like, will you go on this date with me? I have no one else. It's more that I would say, hey, this is a really cool thing that I'm thinking of putting together in light of what you described in your profile. Is this something you'd be really interested in doing? If so, here's my number. Let's go do it on Thursday. So I've literally acknowledged, I've like shown that I've been paying attention to them. I've intuited what it is that they might want to be doing. I've directly confirmed with them that that's something they want to do. And I've done the work of providing the time and place when it can be done. And so that's something, and there's one qualifier on top of that is that I'd also check in with them and say, even if you're not the right person for this, uh, if there's anyone else you think would be like, that's something that like, this is something that I want to keep open to as many people as we can. And so when I started overlaying that kind of a process into my sales work, rather than just my dating work, mm-hmm. uh, um, it led to, I, I got a sale in the first hour of doing that. It was unreal because oh, wow. it was it was just like my life philosophy kind of embedded into the startup side of things rather than just the dating side of things. And I didn't realize that that philosophy would work in both domains seamlessly. I, you know, I, did, I just didn't think of dating as a sales thing, but it turns out that a lot of times if you know, if you show up on a date and you treat it like an interview, it's going to feel really awkward. You might, you might not have created the space where you feel like you want to trust the other person or you feel like you have a good rapport and maybe you just are at the baseline, not compatible and nothing you could have done would have changed that. You're just going to, you have the choice of either bothering the person and wasting their time knowing you're not compatible or holding space for them to talk about what would be compatible and then letting them then be let them you both become your own matchmakers for one another so like if in the first five minutes of a sales call you know this is not the right client for you it doesn't mean that they don't know a hundred other possible clients who would be exactly the right fit and so it's just a matter of not forcing that person to be the person for you right then and there in the same way on a first date you don't ask someone to marry you you don't force them to be your person right then and there because instead it's, it's more important to establish respect and rapport rather than just getting a very specific predefined outcome because we don't have perfect information. We don't know that that's exactly what they would want and that we would want the same thing. But what we can do, we can have perfect informational tools. So we find ways of checking in with someone saying, what do you actually want? Um, If we were to paint a fictional world, what is it that would most excite you? Uh, If you are struggling through something, what does that struggle look and feel like? You know, like those things empower people to open up and share and thereby giving you the kind of information that's most important, maybe not for making that sale right then and there, but you know, once you have that information, you now know for all future times what that person actually needs. And if you had just shown up trying to shove something in their face, say, like, you have to be my client, this is our, my sale, then they may just say, well, I don't want you in my life, bye, like, hang up, or you know, never speak to you again. But what I found is that with my dating approach, as well as my sales approach, my goal was always like, hey, even if you're not in this role in a month's time, a year's time, like you're still an individual who's awesome, who's someone I would love to have like a conversation over coffee with, someone I would love to introduce to my friends for things maybe even beyond the scope of the work that we're doing right here. Um, and I think that, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that that, that 
same process works so well in so many domains because it's not about trying to get what you specifically want from that person without checking in about what they actually want, what they actually care about. It's instead just this process of like building almost like a community together. And it can be as small as a community of two, but it's doing the thing where you put yourself out there, you show a little vulnerability, you hold space for someone and you check in with what they actually want. And then you keep that pro-social spirit of even if what you want is not what I can provide, that's perfectly fine because we are generating this rapport that allows us to think of one another in the future anytime I come across someone who would fit the needs that you described. So it's not like you become useless and irrelevant to me just because you don't say yes right now. Like you're still a person. You're still someone who's going through their own life struggle. You're still someone who, even though you may work at this company today, you may work with my company next week because you may say, hey, I actually really like talking with Steve and I'd rather work for him than this company I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Well, so th- yeah, it's kind of amazing how that can work if you just create that same space. It's, like, it's all about like creating these little spaces with people uh, where they can feel totally empowered. Wow, that's amazing. And that's, that's ladies and gentlemen, probably the one of the best pieces of advice uh, that's ever been on Back to Basics. Just uh, that that last segment was uh, really powerful, and uh, and the way you you go around things, there's something special about it because you go uh, in an unconventional way, which uh, is refreshing. So, what about your podcast? Tell us about your podcast. Yeah. Um, so, the original start for it was that I was talking with so many different people one on one about just really fascinating topics. Like I, I, I probably met 10,000 people or more in the last uh, decade. And it's just been a constant stream of meeting brilliant people who have amazing wisdom, who've done awesome things. And I was meeting them one-on-one because a lot of times it would be you know, for sales calls or I'd go on a date with someone or I'd meet someone at an event. Um, but what I realized is that these conversations are things I'd have for friends always say like, oh, I can't believe you talked to that person. I wish I could have heard from them. I wish I could talk to them. I don't feel like I have anything to offer them. And so I started thinking about, okay, well, how do I get these conversations to be more, you know, shareable? Something where it's not just me getting this wisdom from someone else who's super brilliant. It's actually anyone who I talk, anyone who wants to listen can chime right. Or like, you know, they can, they can download an episode. Mm-hmm. You know, they, can, they can listen along with the conversation as though they were there right in their ears. And so I got the idea that maybe podcasting with more of these conversations I was having would be really powerful. Um, and then the question became, okay, well, what determines like who comes on the podcast next? What determines the overall like theme or structure? Um, and so that was definitely a struggle early on because, you know, I've always been trying to come up with different ways. I had a blog, I've had a blog for the last, well, I've been blogging honestly, since I was like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had formal like publication around dating and relationships for, for about the last eight years. And so I knew how to blog already, but like the audio format was one I wasn't as familiar with. So when, and then people had said like, write a book and I was like, okay, maybe, I don't know. I don't know that world very well. They said, do a YouTube series. I'm like, okay, I don't really know video production that well, but I had a friend who knew how to build podcasts. He introduced me to an app called Anchor, which could make a podcast in under an hour. So I was like, okay, okay. I think, I think I'm willing to try this. We'll, we'll give it a shot. And so that was about a year and a half ago. And the first episode I recorded and published within an hour. And it was kind of unreal how it just, it was such a relatively easy process compared to what I thought it might end up being like <laughs> that I got really excited about the prospect of doing it more regularly. 
Uh, and then in terms of like what it's about, it's called Modern Connection. And my goal for it was to synthesize all of the different ways I was finding of conquering loneliness, because that's like at epidemic levels worldwide and people are struggling so much to find community, to find people that resonate with them. And that's something I've never really struggled with since high school, because I guess it could just be the habits I've been using, the ways I approach like building, designing events, the kind of work I've been doing with pulling in um, people who are already looking to find communities. You know, I exist right at the intersection there of people who are looking for jobs, for work, for romance. Like they're looking, they're open. Um, so that's something that I've had a unique perspective of being able to see like how these communities form, how people conquer loneliness on their own. And so that's kind of the recurring theme, you know, even from my early childhood of feeling pretty lonely, feeling isolated and trying to solve that problem myself. So all the themes around modern connection uh, that I try to incorporate, it's like I talk to the individuals who are really good at developing connection. Um, I find the founders of apps that are designed to help us become a little less lonely, could be dating apps, could be social networking apps. I talk to the scientists and the researchers who try to research and find out how do we, you know, whether individually or in groups, overcome loneliness and form communities, I talk to community builders. It's just kind of every angle of attack I can think of for addressing this problem that so many people face of just not feeling like there's anyone who can show up for them and hear them, um, not feeling like they have a voice. And so I think that's something that's been really motivating for me just to, with each new episode. Uh, I'm trying to find the people who can really speak to like how we can become better connected. And it occurs across all domains. It's not like I, I tailor it sometimes to dating, sometimes to job hunting, uh, sometimes to building friendships. It's kind of across the board. It's just how do we connect in the modern society? Wow. Well, and when I read that, because I read it somewhere, that's why I say, well, my, my podcast is about connecting to oneself. So I think Steve would be a great guest, which you have been a great guest. <laughs> I'm really, really excited about what you're doing. I'm inspired about what you're doing because I love it when I find people that uh, create their own path. And, uh, and you are walking yours, and I'm sure that everything new comes with its own challenges. So um, I'm sure it's not an easy road because everything that it's not set out in the what's conventionally so socially it's always comes in with a little bit more challenge. But I think you're definitely on the right path. And, uh, and I mean, you have been fantastic. And I thank you for that. I personally admit it. I haven't heard your podcast, but I will. I definitely uh, have become a fan during this time that we spent together. <laughs> and I will have all, you know, encourage everybody listening this out there. Um, if you're looking for someone, if you feel isolated, it, everything that Steve has said, uh, please check out his podcast. The info is going to be on the show notes. And uh, Steve, I want to just ask, I cannot, I cannot end my podcast without asking this very important question. If you could share with people what makes you tick, why you're excited about what you're doing, why you're creating your own path, what is it? What is that thing that, that you need to have within yourself to say, I'm living a happy life? Oh, man. <laughs> and I know that's a, lo a big question, but... Hmm. So I think... What's made me tick is primarily that whenever I hear someone describe what I should be doing, it's always almost like painfully obvious that they're describing it from a very 
narrow perspective of what they've experienced. And so I really have, I've derived so much energy and joy and freedom from asking more people, getting more perspectives, because if I get perspectives from a wide variety of people from very different backgrounds, it gives me kind of like a portrait of the world as it stands through different people's expectations. And then it lets me decide for myself, okay, if all these people have such a differing views of what I could be doing, that kind of unlocks me to do whatever it is that I most want to be doing. Uh, I'm not beholden to any one person's or any one community's expectations. And I can also, by comparing all these different expectations, be able to see which where the blind spots are in each community. So I feel like I've been able to consistently get out of any kind of like mind ruts of a single-minded community or a friend who only has one perspective. Um, so I've always been able to gather, by, like by gathering all these different perspectives, I'm able to then see kind of like the picture of what is, and then I can think about with myself, like what could be, what is it that I would actually like to see? Um, and a lot of people will give you advice without actually enjoying where they are now. Like they're not happy with what they're doing, but they may only give you advice tied to that. And so what I instead try to do is just synthesize so many different sources that I'm able to decide for myself ultimately what would I like to pick and choose from all of these and sprinkle and like stat stitch together to be my own perspective ultimately. Um, so I think what I'm driven by is just this almost like a thirst for not just collecting perspectives, but then synthesizing them and coming up with one that makes sense of all of them together and then is infused with my own natural desire for what I want to see happen. Well, and you're repeating it over and over because your explanation on how you chose your coursework and your explanation about how you went to Facebook and decided how you can make money, it's really the same methodology that you're applying in different ways and it just comes natural to you. And I can see that it's working. So I definitely, you've inspired me to try it out and change sometimes my own approach to things into uh, gathering more information and trying to to design what's best for me and not and not follow so much what people are doing around me. Mm -hmm. So, well, I think that's uh, definitely inspirational. I always say, well, if, if my audience didn't like it, at least I loved it. So it's worth doing the podcast, but I, <laughs> I know my audience is going to love it. And um, I thank you, Steve, so much. And I wish you the best of luck. And uh, you have a fan here and uh, best, best of luck to you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I was really happy to hear from you and I guess share some of these little tidbits that I've come across throughout the last several years. Thank you. Very valuable. Thank you. All right. Bye, Steve. Thanks. Goodbye. And until the next time. Bye.